This is Carol McLeod, and you're listening to A Jolt of Joy on the Charisma Podcast Network. How I love teaching the Word of God to you. Well, we're currently in a Bible study entitled Stormproof, and we're studying all of the storm stories in the Bible. How fun is that? On today's podcast, we'll begin learning from the story of Jonah. Do you remember him? He was the little prophet man who ran away from God and was swallowed by a large fish in the middle of a storm. You are going to love Jonah's storm story. But before we dig into the word together today, I'd like to remind you that I speak all across America. If you're looking for a speaker for your next event, you can contact me at carol at carolmccloudministries.com or by calling 855-569-5433. I speak at church events, at MOPS events, at corporate events, at cancer survivors events, and I'd love to serve you in that way. But now it's time. I hope that you're ready to hang on for dear life as we join Jonah and a boat filled with sailors in a horrible storm. This is Jonah's Storm Story. storm story actually has a very interesting and compelling backstory. In this backstory, we'll discover atmospheric conditions that usher in a storm. So before we begin today's storm story, we're going to look at the atmosphere. We're going to look at what was happening in Jonah's life before he encountered a storm that put him in over his head. Well, the book of Jonah is a little book. It's a little tiny book in the Bible that tells a big story. This book of Jonah is nestled among what we call the minor prophets. It's in the last part of the Old Testament, and the book of Jonah is only four riveting chapters long, and yet it will leave eternal footprints on all of our hearts. So let's get going. Open with me today to Jonah chapter one, and let's begin by studying the atmosphere of Jonah's life before the storm hit him. Jonah one verses one and two, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. So In a nutshell, this is what's happening. God needed Noah to go to Nineveh. When God spoke to Jonah, he was actually speaking out of his rich wisdom and consummate holiness and tender compassion. Nineveh was on the heart of God, and he needed one of his children, one of his own, to do something about it. Now, the words that God spoke to Jonah were what I call directional words. They gave Jonah direction for his life. God said, go to Nineveh, Jonah, be my witness, speak up for righteousness. And I want to tell you that God still speaks 
in a directional way to his children today because God's heart is loaded with compassion toward the world in which you and I live. And as you're going to discover throughout today's lesson, God is still looking for the Jonas that he can send into the world today. Now, when I read these words that God spoke to Jonah, go to Nineveh, be my witness, speak up for righteousness. I almost want to say, ouch, because I wonder if there are some Jonas who are listening today who have heard God's voice, if God has spoken to you in a directional way. I wonder if to some of you or to me, God has said, speak up for the unborn, speak up for foster children, do something about it. Speak up for abused women, speak up for those who are lost in the sexual slave trade, speak up for Jesus Christ. Have you heard those directional words from God the Father? So now let me tell you about Nineveh. Nineveh was an evil city. It was evil on steroids. It was evil with an exponent beside it. It was San Francisco, Las Vegas, and Baghdad all combined into one excessively evil city. The worship of God was nowhere to be found in Nineveh, in that wretched city. And so what did the compassion of God compel him to do? To find one man, one person who would speak up on behalf of God and on behalf of righteousness. God knew what you and I often ignore. Just one person on the scene is able to make a profound difference. Did you know that even today, God is still using just one person, one call, and one Nineveh at a time. God's heart of compassion was to speak to the evil city of Nineveh through his man on the scene, Jonah. God needed Jonah to be his voice to an evil culture. I got to say it again, that is still what God needs today. It's what God asks of you and of me. He needs us to speak his words and his heart to the culture in which we live. Often I've discovered that's the very reason why God speaks. It's because he needs us to be his voice on the ground to a world in pain. So today we're going to do something interesting. Right here at the beginning of the Bible study, we're going to pause and pray because I'm going to ask God to speak to those of you who are listening and clearly show you what your Nineveh is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we say, we're your Jonah. We want to be used by you at our moment in history. We want you to tell us where to go. Father God, give us an assignment because we will go. Father God, we will go and speak up for righteousness. We will go and encourage the discouraged. Father, we will go and rescue those in bondage. So today, Father, I ask you that those listening would clearly hear your voice. And Father, today we say, here am I, send me, amen. Now, you know what we're gonna do? If anything comes to your mind, I want you to write it down. And I don't want you to say, oh, that's nothing. Oh no, it might be God calling you to Nineveh. So let's pause and listen for the voice of the Lord. 
What is your Nineveh? What is the people group to whom you have been called? Because we all have a Nineveh. Where does God want you to make a difference with your extraordinary life? Now, while you're going out shopping and exercising and getting mani-pedis and massages and thinking about coffee and chocolate, there is a Nineveh going to hell because you're not there, because you haven't said, here am I, Lord, send me. A few years ago, we had the church staff over to watch the Super Bowl with us. None of us really had a horse in the race, except the associate pastor, who is a New England Patriot fan. He was born and raised in New England. So it seems to me like he always has a horse in the race in the Super Bowl. So Lauren Sperry, our associate pastor, was much more interested in the Super Bowl than any of the rest of us were. But we were excited about the commercials and the halftime show and the fellowship and the food. And actually, most of the wives were just eating their way through the entire game. Now, during past Super Bowls, I have actually loved the commercials. I have a bit of media, public relations in me. So I always like to see what the new ads look like. I always watch one of the morning talk shows the next morning to see which ad won the most popular commercial of the Super Bowl. Um, So even though I might leave the room during first downs, and during sacks and during touchdowns, I rarely leave the room during commercials during the Super Bowl because I want to see what they're like. Actually, who cares about a first down? What is a first down? I want to see the creative genius of marketing agencies. They are more fascinating to me than the game itself. I'll just be honest. You know, some of the commercials in past Super Bowls have been funny. Some have been entertaining. None are really all that deep. Some make you giggle. Some make you cry. Some tell a sweet story. But unfortunately, this year that I'm referring to, the commercials were provocative and inappropriate. And while watching the biggest game of America's favorite pastime, We had to turn our heads and hearts away from the TV, and we actually sent the children out of the room. That's how inappropriate it became. Kelly, our worship leader, and I walked into the kitchen away from the compromise on the big screen. We just couldn't take it anymore. At this moment in the game, we actually didn't go into the kitchen to eat. We weren't hungry anymore because we had lost our appetites. And Kelly, who's probably 25 years younger than I am, said to me, Carol, how did we come to this? Why are commercials now pornographic? There were others standing in the kitchen, but everyone was quiet. Nobody could answer her question. We were all very sober. Finally, I mustered up the courage to speak. And I said, Kelly, it's my fault. It's because I have not spoken up. It's because I've not gotten involved. It's because Christians have not infiltrated ad agencies and the entertainment industry in the manner in which they should. Kelly, it's because no one is speaking God's voice to that world, to that Nineveh. And since that time, I've been praying that God will send a Jonah, hundreds of Jonas, to the entertainment world and to the PR and marketing world. Now, let's leave the Super Bowl 
and go back to Jonah. If you've ever been to Sunday school, you know what's about to happen next to this dude named Jonah. Jonah turned God down. He says a flat no. He didn't say, I'll think about it. He didn't say, let me pray about it. He didn't even respond like Moses did when when Moses said, are you sure, God? Are you sure that it's me you, you want? He didn't say what Abraham said. Abraham said, I'm too old. No, Jonah said, no, don't even think about it. And Jonah not only said no, but he ran as fast and as hard as he can in the other direction from the God who had just given him a directional word. Now, can I just give you a tip? When God offers you a job, no matter how hard it is, don't turn him down. Don't run from God. An interesting part of the story to me has always been that God offered Jonah a job that God knew that Jonah would turn down. Isn't that interesting? God wasn't surprised by Jonah's response. God knew before he even offered the job that Jonah would make a mad dash for Tarshish, which was the name of the city that Jonah tried to run to. You know, God knows even before he speaks what your response is going to be, and yet still he speaks. Still God spoke to Jonah, and still God will speak to you. God speaks to people who he already knows will not obey and will run away. And yet still God speaks because he is a pursuer. God doesn't throw his hands up in frustration and say to the angel Gabriel, there's another one who, listen, why do I get all the wimps? You see, this is what God does. After God speaks, he will pursue you until you return to him. God will pursue you with his voice. God will pursue you with his love. God will pursue you with his goodness. The prophet Jeremiah said that the goodness of God will never stop chasing us down. The psalmist said that goodness and mercy will follow us. That means they're pursuing us all the days of your life. God will perpetually pursue you sometimes by using a storm, just as he did Jonah. You know, if you're the mom of a prodigal, this should encourage you today. If you have a Jonah who's running from God, I want to tell you that God has not forgotten them. He is pursuing them with his love and his goodness and his mercy. God will pursue your prodigals. He'll pursue you in the storm with his love and with his goodness and with his voice of direction. Aren't you glad to know that God's love and goodness are chasing you down, regardless of how you or somebody you love has responded to the call of God? God's love and goodness are chasing you down. And what we're learning, what we're going to learn from the story of Jonah is that sometimes a storm is the best thing that can happen to someone who's running away from God. You see, God has an enormous amount of work for his servants to accomplish, and so he will chase us down. Now, in Jonah's day, not only was Nineveh a heathen city, but its people, the Assyrians, were considered the arch enemies of the people of God. Israel had been tormented by this city. The Assyrians were known for their torture techniques, and I have to wonder if the reason 
Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he knew who lived there, the Assyrians, who were known for their cruel torturing techniques. You know what? I wouldn't want to go either. But this is the deal, folks. When you serve God, you don't make your decisions based on fear or on your emotions. You make decisions based upon faith and obedience. When God offers you a job, no matter how hard it may seem, don't turn him down. Take the job. Say yes to the Lord, no matter how outrageous the request may seem to you. Say yes to the Lord, no matter how loud your knees are knocking, no matter how high your blood pressure is, and no matter how fast your heart is beating. Say yes to God. Take the job. Jonah 1 verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah paid the price. He found a way to get out of it, but make no mistake about it, he paid the price. You see, there's always a price to pay for running from God. And Jonah paid the price. There is a price to pay for muting God's voice. There is a price to pay for disagreeing with God's words. There is a price to pay for trying to escape the presence of God. And you know what? It's going to put you in debt for a long, long time. You can't afford the price that it will extract from you. It might cost you your abundant life because life is always less abundant when you run away from God. Abundant life, living abundantly, living where there is joy and peace is always found where God is, where God the Father is. So why would we run away from him? Joy is found where he is. Strength and hope and peace are all found in his presence. Who would want to leave God's presence? Who would want to turn God down? And yet we all do it all the time. We all think that we have a better idea than God does. Whenever you violate God's word to give in to your own desires, that's exactly what you're doing. You're running to your Tarshish. You're paying a fare you cannot afford. Whenever you or I violate God's word and promote our own desires, we're turning God down and we're trying to run away from his presence. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you leave God's presence? No, you can't. You can try, you can run, but you cannot hide from his presence. You might say, Carol, how do you know that? Well, I know that because I know the word. I know what the word of God says. Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. That was an Old Testament verse. Let me read to you what the New Testament says about the all-consuming, all-encompassing presence of God. It's found in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can say no, but you can't escape his presence. You can try to run, but you will never hide from the eye and the presence of God. Take it from Jonah and from me. You can say no to God, but you will never escape his goodness or his presence. Jonah chapter one, verse four, and this is where the storm story begins. We've studied the atmospheric conditions that produce the storm. Now let's look at the storm itself. Jonah 1, 4, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. This is the price that Jonah couldn't afford. This was the result of Jonah's intent to run away. It's what I call a self-inflicted storm. A self-inflicted storm are circumstances and events that we bring upon ourselves. Now, not every storm is self-inflicted. Noah's storm wasn't. Uh, We're going to study Job's storm next week. His storm was not self-inflicted. Paul's storm wasn't. Peter's storm wasn't, but Jonah's storm was. He brought it on himself by his own choices, by his own resolve to run away from God. When we say no to God and yes to sin, we create favorable atmospheric conditions for storm-tossed living. Let me go a little bit deeper into this. A girl who's not married becomes pregnant, and she has to be a single mom. She has to provide for her child. She has to deal with her choices that were against the will and the plan of God. Now, listen, I'm not implying that the baby is a storm because babies are precious in the sight of the Lord. No child is a mistake. All children are blessings. However, the young women may have to deal with the challenges of leaving school, a change in direction in life, difficult finances, deciding what she's going to do, keep the baby or give it up for adoption. Let's look at another maybe self-inflicted storm. You overspend on a credit card. You have to deal with creditors, with loss of respect, with you can no longer save or give the way you want to simply because you've used that piece of plastic one time too often. How about someone who abuses alcohol or drugs? Now there is a self-inflicted storm. You might cause accidents. You deal with addictions. You, you lose your destiny and your sense of direction. You might have to drop out of school because of abusing alcohol or drugs. You might be just in bondage to low-paying jobs and to feeling like a failure. You know, not one of us have really missed a self-inflicted storm. I know that I've created many self-inflicted storms in my life simply because I've turned God down. I've thought that I knew better than he did. Not all storms are self-inflicted, but some are. And I want to just tell you right now, there are enough storms in my life that I don't need another self-inflicted one. Do you? I want to, from this day forward, I want to craft a life where the atmospheric conditions are ripe for smooth sailing, for abundant living. I don't want another storm of my own creation. Jonah 1 verse 5. 
Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah's decision to run away from God impacted not only his life, but also the life of every other person who was on the high-priced yacht on which Jonah was traveling. My friend, your self-inflicted storm will indeed impact others' lives. You might think it's none of their business. Oh, yes, it is because we are our brothers and our sisters' keepers. When you sin, when you choose to run from God, when you choose fear over faith, people around you will pay the price as well. One of the best sermons I've heard in my whole life, I probably heard it 15 or 20 years ago. The name of the sermon was What Your Sin Costs me. Because no man is an island and the ripples of our sin impact other people's lives as well. The waves of your storm are able to violently splash upon the people whom you love dearly. Verse six. So the captain approached Jonah and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. You know, I love this verse. I love the captain's insight and leadership. The captain looked at Jonah's face and said, perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. My friend, we serve a God who's concerned. He is concerned about storm-tossed sailors. He knows and he cares. Whatever storm you're in today, whether you caused it or not, I can assure you that God is concerned about you. Verses seven through nine. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So Jonah in the middle of this self-inflicted storm finally made a good choice. He honored the Lord with his words. He made this right choice in the sea that was tossing to and fro. Jonah decided to honor God. You see, my friend, now I want you to listen to this. What you say in your self-inflicted storm matters. It matters very much. What you say in any storm matters very much. If you're in the middle of a storm, honor God with the words that you speak. Actually, what Jonah said was, you know what? I do serve the living God. He made this sea that is tossing to and fro. My God made it. And God made the dry land that we all wish we were on right now. Jonah, the scared, storm-tossed, running Jonah, made a powerful choice. He honored God with the words that he spoke. I hope next time you're in a storm, you'll make that choice as well. Have you ever willfully disobeyed the Father? I have. And just like in Jonah's story, 
My disobedience caused a gargantuan storm. I have found it much easier and much more fulfilling just to obey the Lord. The truth is, I don't have a better idea than God does, and neither do you. Well, as always, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email me with your questions or prayer requests at carol at carolmccloudministries.com. And now, before I let you go today, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much, and we come to you today and repent. I am so sorry for disobeying you and for thinking that my ideas were somehow better than your ideas. Please forgive me, Lord. Give me the strength and the desire to obey you in all that I say and in all that I do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.